It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into 2010 on the virtual bible studies tonight this is the virtual bible study for january 7th 2010 thank you for being a part of it my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you we said last week we weren't going to do it anymore that year and we but but we hope to do it many times this year, and we're starting 52. out. We're starting out with our first virtual Bible study of the year 2010. We're glad for everybody who's listening. Thank you again for being a part of it. We hope you'll take a minute to join in on the discussion at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Lots of ways to contact us, Jacob. Certainly are, and you can also join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight. Uh, find instructions on your screen on how to do that. You will have to log in tonight, but uh, we look forward to hearing from you there. You can follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook with other listeners in, on Facebook. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. And you can get on our mailing account. list so that you can get our regular updates. Send us Just send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, and tell us, put us put us on a list. So that none of that's changed. That's uh, what we have to repeat every week to, in case we get new listeners who want to be in touch with us. And we believe that having our listeners in touch with us makes our program better. So if you're out there and listening, we'd love you to uh, participate with us uh, as we study tonight. All right. And tonight our subject is somewhat of a continuation from our subject last week on New Year's Eve. We talked about contradictions in the Bible. I guess to be completely accurate, we've got to say alleged contradictions exactly. in the Bible because we, we don't believe the Bible does contradict. That's right. We looked at rules for how to uh, discern whether or not it truly is a contradiction. And uh, tonight we're going to put some of that into practice. Yeah, we want to tonight we want to look at an essay that was written by a former guest on the virtual Bible study. We interviewed Dan Barker several months ago, Jacob. I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, Dan Barker is a former preacher who is now an atheist and a fairly aggressive one. He he promotes the atheist agenda pretty pretty aggressively. Uh, I don't know however committed he was when he was a preacher, but he's pretty committed to being an atheist, and he's he's uh, evangelistic about atheism. And so uh, we interviewed him several months ago, and tonight we want to look at an essay that he wrote. And he, the name of the essay is Leave No Stone Unturned. And he says, I have a challenge for Christians. My challenge is simply this. Tell me what happened on, he calls it Easter. I'm not asking for proof. My straightforward request is merely that Christians tell me exactly what happened on the day that their most important doctrine was born. Believers should eagerly take up this challenge, he says, since without the resurrection there is no Christianity. And so this uh, is sort of a... Uh, a double punch, a left-right in his mind. One is, if you could prove a contradiction in the Bible, that'd be significant. If you could disprove the resurrection, that'd be a death blow to Christianity. He knows that. We know that, of course. Uh, And I, I think because the resurrection is so important to us, that's why atheists, skeptics, doubters, have through the centuries attacked the resurrection of Jesus Christ to try to prove that it didn't happen, it didn't happen like the Bible says it happened, and therefore to try to destroy the faith of Christians. And so that's basically what he's trying to do here. He says, without omitting a single detail from these separate accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, write a simple chronological narrative of the events between the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, he said, I tried, I couldn't do it, is what he said. And he says, uh, uh, that if you can prove if there are contrib- uh, contradictions, then it disproves the resurrection story. All right. If you'd like to follow along and you're not on our mailing list, maybe you haven't seen this article so far. I posted the link in the chat room, 
and you can find it there and follow it uh, to uh, Dan Barker's uh, homepage there. Uh, he is a uh, host of a nationally syndicated radio program on Air America, Free Thought Radio. I saw his wife on uh, Fox News a couple weeks ago, uh, so he's a very prominent atheist. Um, we'll be reviewing that article. If you'd like to find it in the chat room there, the link is, is waiting for you there. Now, one thing we would note about his challenge uh, just because uh, he wants a chronological narrative doesn't necessarily mean there are contradictions. Just because we can't lay it out exactly as it occurred chronologically doesn't mean there's a contradiction. That's right. I, my my conclusion in studying the resurrection accounts is it's difficult where to place some of the events of the di- that the different authors mention, but that doesn't prove that they contradict. There's just not enough information necessarily in every detail to show where one event fits in chronologically with the others, but that doesn't mean that it's a uh, a contradiction. If I if I were to say I went to Walmart and then a few minutes later I said uh, I went to Kroger, those are not those are not contradictory statements, and you don't know which one I went to first. Right. But they don't contradict each other. Or if uh, you were talking to me and I said we went to the park, and then you talked to my wife and she said we went to the store. Just because you wouldn't know which one of those came first doesn't mean that my wife and I are not telling the, uh, the truth on both that, accounts. Yeah, there's no contradiction there. Uh, and, and so, and, so he's got somewhat of a to, false dilemma here, just right. because he, he wants to claim he can't lay out a chronological timetable, and therefore the accounts are in error. That's not that's not true. Exactly right. He quotes Thomas Paine, Age of Reason. Of course, many will remember the the skeptic Thomas Paine from the early days of America, uh, United States of America, and Payne said the disagreement of the parts of a story proves the whole cannot be true. Um, Now, again, if there's disagreement, then we do have a problem using the word disagreement to to be a synonym to the word contradiction. If there's a contradiction, we've got a problem. But it's not a contradiction just because we cannot chronologically guarantee a a, uh, exact chronological breakdown of the story all right 877-381-4567 is the number to call maybe you're looking over uh the uh, arguments that are made by dan barker you'd like to comment uh, give us a call or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com let's let's take uh, just as an example he starts the, the first contradiction he believes he has jacob uh is one in which he talks about on uh, on the second page of the essay if you're looking there jacob um one of the first problems he says he found is Matthew 28, 2. He says, it says, after the two women arrived at the tomb, it says there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. He says, let's ignore the fact that no other writer mentions the great earthquake. This story says that the stone was rolled away after the women arrived and in their presence. Yet Mark's gospel says it happened before the women arrived. Notice Mark says, and they said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And they looked and they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Uh, Luke says they found the stone to be rolled away from the, and they, uh, they found the stone to be rolled away from the sepulcher. John agrees. No earthquake, no rolling stone. It's three to one vote. Matthew loses or else the other three are wrong. The event cannot have happened both before the women arrived and after they arrived. Now, if you weren't going to check the scriptures on this, if you were just going to take Dan Barker's word for that contradiction, it sounds like he's got a contradiction lined out there. But I'm going to tell you, go back to Matthew's account. Now, I'm going to agree with him. Mark, Luke, and John all indicate that the stone was rolled away when the women got there. He's got... Matthew in apparent contradiction, but read Matthew's account. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, period. They're on their way to see the sepulcher. They're coming. It doesn't say they're there. It says they're coming. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. All right. The women are coming. The earthquake occurs. The stone is rolled back. The keepers see it and are like dead men from what they witnessed. And then it goes on to say, and the angel answered and said to the women, 
There, uh, fear not, ye, I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified, he's not here. You've got to read into that account what's not there in order to have Dan Barker's contradiction. Dan assumes that they were there. The account says they were on their way. Right. It doesn't say they were there. Right. Furthermore, they'd have nerves of steel because the the soldiers couldn't stand seeing this. They came as dead men. The women, I guess, they, they had nerves of steel. didn't bother them at all. Well, he acts like he's got an ironclad contradiction there. And when you read Matthew's account, you can easily harmonize Matthew's account with Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, Luke, and John says the stone was rolled away when the women got there. You can read that. You can read Matthew's account and, and see that he is not he is not telling a different story. Yeah, it could be read both ways. Certainly. No, it could be read that they were there. If you wanted and, to force a contradiction. Yeah. But you could read it that they were on their way there Certainly. when the stone was rolled away. I see no contradiction in that. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in on the discussion. Let us know what you think about Dan Barker's essay where he says he's found several contradictions in the resurrection account. What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. And so, again, he's setting it up here. He's trying to make it look like he's got an open and shut case and that they're, the, 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 case, the, the uh, uh, Gospels are just riddled with error and contradiction. But, again, no, no contradiction here. Right. Uh, got an email from Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, who says that a good book to study on this would be McGarvey's Fourfold Gospel. That's a, that's a com- well-known commentary. It's been around for, obviously, many years. McGarvey's long since dead. But it is a great Bible study tool. And if you don't have one of those in your library, I'd recommend getting one. They're still readily available, still in print. McGarvey's Fourfold Gospel. And what McGarvey does is he takes all four gospel accounts and he harmonizes them. He blends them together. And uh, it's it's real useful. Uh, Jim laments that he can't find his copy because he thinks one of his kids has confiscated it from his library but he goes on to say it seems from reading and Mark, i might say that that's a, that's an often used excuse for a father who can't find something and it works for tools too yeah tools books yeah jim I, you might want to look again because you probably stuck it somewhere and you can't find it i'm sympathetic jim i understand how that happens i've had the same problem uh jim goes on to say it seems from reading barker's article that he want uh, that what he wants is for each gospel writer to agree specifically about each event with the other writers. This is not to suggest that they disagree, only that each writer presents a different point since each gospel is provided God, by God for a different audience. I believe he poisons the water for Christians when he begins asking them to defend Easter when what he really is discussing is the resurrection. Okay. I, I agree, Jim. And that goes to what we were saying earlier, Jacob. Supplemental accounts that give information are not necessarily contradictory. Um, now, if if I told one person I went to Walmart and I told another person I did not go to Walmart, that might be a contradiction. It wouldn't be if I was talking about two different days or something. But if I if I if I told a person I didn't I went to Walmart today and then I told another person I did not go to Walmart today, that's a contradiction. But if I told one person I went to Walmart and I told another person I went to Kroger, that's not necessarily a contradiction. I wonder if Dan Barker reads his newspapers the same way he reads his Bible. Does he take out the Washington Post and take out the New York Times when they're talking about two, the same account of, of a news item? And he looks at the Washington Post, and they didn't mention this fact. And, the t- and, and, and they York mentioned Times a different did. fact over here. Those articles, are they're just totally – they need to be thrown mm-hmm. away. Does he, does he read his newspaper that way? I don't think he does. I think he's uh, applying a false standard to the Bible. Because he says they have have to agree on every fact. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the discussion looking at these apparent contradictions. Again, if you're just joining us, we're studying uh, an essay by Dan Barker on apparent contradictions in the resurrection accounts. If you'd like a link to that article, it is in the chat room tonight. You can follow that link and you can study along with us. We're going to take a break and we'll continue the discussion right after these important messages. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. 
Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome back into the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. And this is the first Virtual Bible Study for 2010. And if you can think of any subject you'd like here to hear discussed in 2010, send us an email with your topic suggestion. We'd love to hear from you. We want to talk about subjects that our listeners are interested in, Dad, as long as it's a, a scriptural, biblical topic. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and please. it might be uh, a topic that we could do a whole program about, or it might be a topic that we can add into one of our sort of catch-all programs. Maybe it's just a simple question, yeah. or, you know, one or two sentence answer. We can throw that into our our multiple question topic yeah. Yeah. programs. And also, we've got some changes coming, hopefully, on the Virtual Bible Study. We're doing some research on how we can improve the program, and we'd like for you to give your... From a a technical standpoint. From a technical side, and uh, so maybe you could give us some suggestions on a content or an approach uh, that you you might think would be an improvement to the Virtual Bible Study. Send us your suggestions. We'd like to hear from you. Also, if you listen in the podcast, we've got a message this week from someone who listens to us in the podcast. Send us a message and let us know you're out there. You can join in the discussion. If you don't uh, or are not able to listen to us live, you can send your questions or your comments to us anytime at questions at collegeview.com. But thank you for listening, whether you're listening to us live tonight or you listen to us in the archive version. Dave, real quick, I wanted to remind our listeners of what we talked about on our program last week. When, when you're confronted with a, a, a potential contradiction in the scriptures, there, we, we, we suggested five simple rules last week. Number one, ensure that the same person or thing is under consideration. In other words, it might be two people with the same name, for instance. And that might be a problem if you're studying the resurrection accounts. There was more than one woman named Mary, for instance. Okay. So make sure the same person or thing is under consideration. Make sure that the same time frame is referenced. Even make sure that the same manner of timekeeping is being used. The Romans kept time one way. The Jews kept time a different way. Guarantee that words are used in the same sense. Uh, realize that opposites are not always contradictions, are not always contradictory. And number five, recognize the difference between supplemental and contradictory information. And that last rule is a very important one in the discussion that we're having tonight. If you want more detail on on those rules that we suggested, uh, you can go to our archive page and listen to that program in archive. I think that I think what we're talking about, being able to resolve alleged contradictions in the Bible, is important. Because the Bible's been under attack for centuries, and it still is. And there are people like Dan Barker who would like to tear down people's confidence in the Word of God. All right. Our archive page is located at collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or in a podcast receiver and you've never been to our website, check it out, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And you can find a listing of all of our past programs, especially program from last week if you'd like more and, and you talk about podcast listeners jacob we have an email from peter in and i hope i say this the way the englishman would say it stoke on trent in england all right and peter says i have recently found your site and enjoy learning from the vbs unfortunately i'm unable to listen live due to the time difference but i do listen to your archive podcast uh, and uh, so, Peter, we're glad that you're listening in England and uh, spread the word about the virtual Bible study. Glad to have well, you. Well, we're going to comment. He's got some comments on these contradictions here, and, and we'll, we'll read some of those in just a minute. Yeah, okay, great, great. Thank you for being out there, Peter. Glad you're here. All right, let's go. Jacob, let's go to the section of the essay in which he begins to enumerate here the specific, what he says, the specific discrepancies. If you're following along at home, it is the section that begins, here are the discrepancies among the resurrection uh, account. Here are some of the discrepancies. The first one is, what time did the women visit the tomb? What time did, and and then this is kind of interesting because he's done a lot of the work for us. He's kind of broken out the, the phrases he wants us to try to harmonize. Okay. Matthew says, as it began to dawn, and that's Matthew 28, 1. Okay. Mark says very early in the morning at the rising of the sun. Uh, okay, Mark sixteen two. That, I don't see a contradiction yet. No, he says, uh, and then uh, Luke says very early in the morning. 
Luke 24, 1. Mm-hmm. Don't have a problem with that. Nope. And John says, when it was yet dark. Now, I suppose what he's trying to get us to, to deal with is John saying it was still dark. And Matthew said, as it began to dawn, Mark said, very early in the morning. Uh, Luke said, very early in the morning. Well, I want to tell you, Jacob, sometimes in the spring we go turkey hunting. And it may be official sunrise time, still pretty dark, you know. But it's it's the sun has has risen, even officially risen. By if if you were to look at the at the uh, tables, it is now past official sunrise time. It's still pretty dark. There's a there's a, a time period it's, there where you could still say it's dark, or you could say it's it's dawn. It, yeah. it, it's it's just that transitional part of the day. Yeah. I think all the uh, writers here are describing that period of time. I don't know. I, to me, if if I if I was an unbeliever, I mean, if if I. If I was in Dan Barker's shoes as an atheist, I wouldn't throw that out as as a contradiction. That's easy to harmonize, right? Yeah, right. All right. Let's look at the the next one. He mentions who were the women, Jacob. Okay. Go ahead. All right. He mentions in Matthew that uh, Matthew in Matthew twenty eight verse one mentions Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. In Mark, he references Mark sixteen verse one, where Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, are mentioned there. And then in Luke, Mary Magdalene. Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women in Luke 24, verse 10. And then in John, he just mentions Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, verse 1. Well, again, this is that rule that we talked about in last week's program, the difference between contradictory or supplemental information. You could pose all kinds of scenarios uh, that that people would easily understand. If If I came... In here tonight, Jacob and I told you, I said, I saw Joe and Tom at the park today. And then I told somebody else, I saw Joe and Tom and Steve at the park today. Those are not contradictory statements. If I told somebody else, I saw Steve at the park today and didn't mention Joe and Tom. It's not contradiction. Those things are all uh, uh, reconcilable. Different accounts mention different people who were present, but they are not contradictory. If it said, if 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 Matthew had said Mary Magdalene was there, and John said there were some women there, but Mary Magdalene wasn't there, then we'd have a problem. But this is not a problem. All right. I mean, I, that's just so it's so easily resolved. Uh, that I, I can't imagine that he poses that as a question. Let, let me back up here for, for Peter's uh, email from England. He says the time of arrival. I think those times that we mentioned could all easily relate to the same time. It's dark before dawn, which is early morning, and dawn is when the sun rises. He, he makes the same point we do. Number two, he says, who are the women? These need, need not to be contradictions merely varying levels of detail. I think that's exactly right. And in the chat room and the uh, apparent contradiction of the time of day when the women visited the tomb, Master of None says there's no contradiction. He says he, referencing Dan Barker, must sleep in because uh, Master of None says it's dark early in the morning, then it gets lighter. Where's the contradiction? And uh, he mentions he gets up early, so he knows that it is dark and then it gets lighter, and it's that transitional time, again, where you could say it was still dark or you could say that the sun is, is rising. Yeah. All right, so uh, we've gone. We've, we've covered two of the what Dan Barker assumes are irreconcilable contradictions, and we've had no trouble yet. Now let's keep working through these. If you'd like to join in, send your emails to questions at collegeu.com. Better yet, give us a call at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Now I like this next one, Jacob, because I think. Now, and again, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful to Dan Barker, but I'm. I would be concerned that there's some purposeful misrepresentation in the way he presents this next one. His next question about what happened uh, uh, after Jesus rose from the grave, he says, what was the purpose of the women going to the tomb? He says, Matthew says, 28.1, they went to see the tomb. Mark says, they had already seen the tomb, 15.47, and they were bringing spices, 16.1. Luke says, they had already seen the tomb. 28, or excuse me, 2355, and they were bringing spices. John says the body had already been spiced before they arrived. 19, chapter 19, verses 38, 9, and 40. Now, none of that is contradictory. They were coming to see the tomb. 
Doesn't mean that some of them hadn't seen it before. We know that they watched Joseph of Arimathea. Mark and Luke mentioned them watching Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus place Jesus in the tomb. So they knew where the tomb was. That's how they knew where to go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how would they know where to go if some of them hadn't seen it before? They knew where they were going. They had seen it before. That's no contradiction. The fact that they'd been there once and they're coming again to see the tomb. The fact that they're bringing spices when the body had already been spiced, that's not a problem. They, I mean, they wanted to, to provide an additional honor to the body of their, of their loved one. We don't use spices today, but we use flowers. And maybe uh, when uh, someone is buried, we put flowers at the tomb, and we may come back in a few days later or maybe in another year and bring more flowers. Or maybe the very next day. It doesn't mean, oh, well, if you brought flowers today, that means there weren't flowers there already. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, again, he's just not being logical. Yeah. Now, he, he suggests it's a contradiction that they were bringing spices when the body had already been spiced. But here's where I think there may be a little purposeful omission on his part. If you look in Mark chapter 15, uh, in Mark 15, 40, no, 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 no. Uh, maybe I want Luke's account. I've written, yeah, I want Luke's account. In Luke's account in chapter 23, uh, it says... It's talking about Joseph of Arimathea bearing the body of Jesus. And it says, the women, verse 55, the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. In other words, they watched, they watched Joseph of Arimathea bury him. They observed that spices were already used. But notice, they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And then it goes on in the start of the next chapter, say, and upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher bringing the spices they had prepared. That account, when you read that account, it puts it all together. They, they, they had been at the tomb before. They'd seen it before. They specifically went home and prepared spices and waited until the Sabbath passed so they could come and put the additional spices on the body. They knew the body was already spiced, and they were going to apply additional spices. There's no contradiction there. It's absolutely non-contradictory. Uh, absolutely. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room, Anthony says, when I go walking in the morning, I often remark, man, it's so dark even when the sun has risen. Yeah. Okay. So that that, uh, that morning dawn, uh, that period of transition. I think, I think what everybody is saying, it's a little bit frustrating to have someone suggest that these constitute contradictions in the Bible when just a modicum of common sense would show that they're not contradictions. All right. We'll continue. Real, real quick, let me get Peter's comment on this, Jay. What was the women's purpose? How do we know that each of the women did not have a different purpose for visiting the tomb? We don't know which of the women each account relates to. Even the quote from John, which superficially appears contradictory, need not be. How do we know that the women were unaware that Jesus' body had been spiced? No. Right, Peter. And the fact of the matter is we know they did know it had already been spiced. All right. Yeah, that's right. So, again, he does not have a contradiction. We'll take a break and get this week's bullet point. We'll continue the discussion, hopefully, with your comments on the other side. Give us a call right now or send us an email. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. No one likes to be put on the spot. We dread the possibility of being asked questions that we can't answer. This is especially true when the questions are about religion. Without a doubt, one of the biggest hindrances to spreading the gospel is this fear of being asked questions. Many Christians feel uneasy about their level of Bible knowledge. Thus, to avoid potentially embarrassing situations, they do their best to sidestep any discussion that might turn to religious themes. This is sad because it keeps us from many open doors for personal evangelism. Since no one has all the answers, it is important for us to know what to do when questions arise that stump us. Here are some suggestions. First, realize and be ready to explain that there are simply some pieces of information that we do not have because God has not supplied them. Deuteronomy 29.29 says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But, according to John 16, verses 12 and 13, we have all the truth. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. So every piece of essential information has been supplied. Secondly, when you do not know the answer, it's best to simply admit it. This is much better than trying to bluff your way through. Humbly say, I don't know. But then don't fail to add, I'll find out and get back to you on that. 
Following this procedure will actually provide additional opportunities to teach. It keeps the door open to further discussions. Thirdly, study, and then study, and then study some more. You will feel less intimidated and more willing to engage in biblical discussions if you build your confidence level by increasing your Bible knowledge. Pay special attention to areas where you presently feel weak in knowledge and understanding. Be well prepared to deal with popular doctrinal errors. And finally, never shy away from a chance to talk about God and His Word. The more you do this, the easier it will become. Every such conversation serves as an opportunity for you to sharpen your sword. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We are back on the Virtual Bible Study, and we're still waiting to hear from you on the phones or over email tonight. Uh, Let us know your thoughts. How do you answer these apparent contradictions that Dan Barker is presenting? If you are listening to the program tonight and you're watching us from collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com, Follow the instructions on your screen or just click the menu down at the bottom of your video and go to show page. And from there, you'll be able to access our chat room where you can find the link to the article we're examining tonight. If you're interested in viewing uh, that link, you will not have to log in, by the way, to see the chat room and be able to. But you have to log in if you want to participate. But that's a free, easy to get account. And then every week you can go back to that and log in and, and be able to get into the chat room. Jacob, real quick, Peter from Stoke-on-Trent uh, Stoke in England, uh, he he commented on those first three contradictions, and then he just says, and so on it goes. So uh, we won't have any more help from him with, with these other contradictions, but I just want to read his conclusion. He says, I think the only statement that can't be argued in the entire article is that the resurrection is fundamental to Christian belief. Many years ago, I purchased a booklet with a title along the lines of Evidence for the Resurrection. I can't remember the exact title and unfortunately has been lost over the years. It presented the case as if it were a court of law. Jesus' resurrection was shown beyond reasonable doubt to have occurred. If he didn't rise from the dead, as we believe, why did the Romans not produce his body to quash all the rumors? Which is a great question. And uh, I'm wondering if the book that he references there is possibly uh, Josh McDowell's book called The Resurrection Factor. Uh, uh, may, it may be because it's written much like what he suggested there. And, and uh, again, uh, here's another book recommendation. If you've never read The Resurrection Factor, that's a great book by Josh McDowell, and it really does just do a masterful job uh, from just sort of a technical evidence standpoint proving that the resurrection took place. Thank you for your comments, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible And I'm sorry for the mispronunciation. I'm sure we didn't pronounce it like he would have pronounced it himself. I could tell a quick story. One time I met an Englishman in Eastern Europe. We were on our way to do some preaching work in the small country of Moldova, and, and an Englishman was in the airport waiting to fly into Moldova with us. He was with the Coca-Cola company, and he asked us, um, uh, no, I asked him, do you do you speak Russian or Romanian? He said, no. And I said, well, neither do we. Uh, and he says, yes, but of course, you don't even speak English properly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. All right. Well, we want to hear from you on the phone or over email tonight. Join in the discussion as we look at the apparent contradictions. The next one is one that we've already examined. Who was at the tomb when they or was the tomb open when they arrived? Um uh, Again, he says there's a contradiction there, but we were able to prove that there's no contradiction. What you have to read as you're reading Matthew's account, you can read it and make it clearly understandable that the women were on their way to the tomb when the earthquake happened and the stone rolled back. And when you read it that way, and it's very, it's, it's, it's not, you're not misusing the text to read it that way, then the contradiction melts away. And one of the rules that we mentioned last week, Jacob, is when we're dealing with a potential contradiction in the Bible, all you have to do is come up with one feasible alternative explanation. Many times there are multiple alternative explanations, but all you have to do is have one feasible explanation that resolves the contradiction, and the contradiction doesn't stand. All right. And uh, here's another from the chat room. Uh, Master of None says he has Josh McDowell's Evidence Demands a Verdict. That's right. Uh, That's another great book by and, Josh McDowell. Okay, so that may be another one that, uh, that Peter's referring to. All right, now the next one that uh, Dan Barker mentions is who was at the tomb when they arrived. Matthew mentions there was one angel in Matthew 28, verses 2 through 7. Mark references one young man in Luke, uh, Mark 16, verse 5. Luke references two men in Luke 20, uh, 24, verse 4. And John references two angels in John 20, verse 12. Very easy. 
all through the Bible, when angels made appearances, they 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 appeared in the form of men. Exactly. So it's not it's not a contradiction to call them angels and men uh, because angels in multiple episodes in the Bible took on the appearance of men. And then again, it's not a contradiction to mention one versus two. Uh, you know, if if I if if I were to say, I saw a man standing by the side of the road. Uh, and that man said to me, and then I, I quoted what he said. Then later, I mentioned to someone, there were two men standing by the side of the road. And one of them said to me, those are not contradictory statements. Right. And so, again, this resolves pretty easily. Matthew and Mark only mention one. But they don't say there was only one. If they said there was only one man and then... Luke and John said there were two men. You have a contradiction, but Mark and Luke mentioned one, but they don't say there was only one. And, and to uh, show some scripture to back up your assertion that angels did appear as men, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 instructs us, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. If the angel looked like whatever an angel looks like, uh, how could you entertain them unawares unless they did look like... And, I, uh, and I've always person. wondered and suspected that that, that, that reference may have been for example, to Abraham, who mm-hmm. entertained angels who were on their way to Sodom. Looking like men. And they looked like men, and okay. he fed them a meal. Okay. All right, so that, again, is not a contradiction. Now, the next one is, where were these messengers situated? Now, uh, in the chat room, Master of None uh, asked about this. Matthew says they were sitting. Luke says they were standing. So uh, here's here's sort of the summary. And, again, uh, Dan Barker's done us a favor because he's broken this all out for us. Sure. He's got, in Matthew's account, there was an angel sitting on the stone. I'm not going to give all the scripture references. I think we know they're in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. All of these are, so we won't keep repeating the the references. Matthew says there was an angel sitting on the stone. Mark says a young man was sitting inside on the right-hand side. Luke says two men were standing inside John says two angels were sitting on each end of the bed. Two two angels, one on each end of the bed. Uh, uh, Jacob, take that. Well, it's again, we use the same uh, explanation we've had before. Uh, There could have been an angel in every one of the locations mentioned, and the writers just simply uh, focus on certain ones. There was an angel sitting on the stone, and that's obvious. And and it doesn't say he stayed on the stone. In other words, no, Matthew says right. he was sitting on the stone, which was obviously outside the tomb. It right. doesn't say he stayed there. Yeah, he rolled back, st- sat on it for a while, then he walked inside. inside. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's easy enough to understand. Okay. Uh, and then again, what they, there could be multiple ones in the in the tomb, and uh, the, the different writers just focus on and, the, and, different ones. And Luke says they were standing, and John says they were sitting. Well, at one point in the episode, they were standing, sure. and then they assumed a sitting position. Sure. Not hard to, I mean, it's not contradictory. It just gives more specific detail of what those messengers did. You know, when you come into a room and uh, you, maybe there's a room with several people in it, you pick out one at the beginning and that's what you're focusing on. And then later you realize, oh, so-and-so is here as well. And that this could be a, an explanation of that as well. When they came in, they saw the one setting on the right and then they maybe noticed there was another one there as well. And, and so on it goes. And And for the different writers to emphasize a certain aspect of that is not contradictory. Now, if one of those writers had said there were two men standing and they never did sit down, they stood. uh, Or there were only two men. uh, There were exactly two men. uh, Or there was only one man. You know, if Matthew said or Mark, Matthew mentions one angel, Mark mentions one young man. If they said there was only one, but they didn't do that. If Luke said there were two men standing and they never sat down, but John says that they were sitting when he mentions in his episode, then we'd have contradiction. But you see, there's some critical words missing that would be necessary to establish Dan Barker's contradictions that he thinks he's got here. Uh, These things are not contradictory. They all can be harmonized. Let's look at the wording here again to show that it is not forcing a contradiction. Mark chapter 16, verse 5 says, And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in white, long white raiment, and they were frightened. When they entered, what did they see? They saw this man sitting on the right side. 
verse uh, Matthew 28, verse 2. Again, that's an easy one. The angel sitting on the stone. Again, that he sat there for some time perhaps and then went inside the tomb. But notice John chapter 20, verse 12. And seeth two angels in white setting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus is laid. So again, they saw at this time they saw two angels. They had maybe seen the first one when they first walked in. Then they saw both of them. And then Luke 24, verse 4 says, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So again, uh, these may be different angels, maybe different times during the account. Maybe they're re- referencing what they recognize at certain different uh, junctures during the during the, the course there. So again, we, we have done away with that potential contradiction. It doesn't exist. All right. The, the next one, I'm not going to, Jacob, for sake of time, we won't read all this. He goes to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and quotes what each gospel writer says uh, that were the words of, of the messengers, the angels that were at the tomb. They are not contradictory statements. They're not, they're not verbatim in the four gospel accounts, but they don't contradict each other. If, if we were relating a conversation, let's say that you and I both had a conversation with a man named Joe. Mm-hmm. And then you went and told someone what Joe had said. And then I went and told somebody else what Joe had said. We wouldn't use the same words. We're not quoting him verbatim. We're, we're given the gist of what he said. And although our words might be slightly different, they would not contradict each other. They would exactly convey the meaning of the conversation we had with Joe. We would have the same in a modern-day news account where two people are reporting on the same thing. Maybe President Obama gives a news conference, and then the, the, the newspaper article comes out the next day telling what President Obama said. As they're recounting what he said, the, each one of those reporters will give a different explanation of what he said when they're not quoting him verbatim and when they are quoting him verbatim even then the quotes will differ some but based upon the words that they chose out of what he had said and the quotes that they presented from him so again not a contradiction here exactly right real quickly we're gonna we have to hustle here jacob i'm looking ahead and we might we're gonna have to hustle to get through all these things that he claims are contradictions that are not he says did the women tell what happened when they went back did they tell what happened and quickly, Matthew says they did, 28.8. Luke says they did, 24.9 and verses 22 through 24. John says they did, 20 verse 18. But he says Mark says they didn't say anything. They neither said they anything to any man. Well, again, this may be a little bit of uh, deception uh, purposefully omitting important uh, information. Mark says in Mark 16 that uh, the women after uh, the, the women went out after this, and it says they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, and they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. But verse 11 says, and they went. Uh, excuse me. Verse 10 says. Now let me read it all. Verse 8, they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared to the first Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast out seven demons and so forth. But in verse 10, she went and told them which had been with him. Um, So I I take it that when they didn't tell any man, Mark says when they they didn't say anything to any man about what they, they didn't say anything to any strangers. Right. They're going to be passing people on their way. There were people they could have told on the way to tell the disciples. They didn't say anything to any man. They went straight to the disciples and told them what they had seen. And so with that bit of critical information added in, then the contradiction that he suggests doesn't exist. When it says they didn't say anything to any man, it means they didn't say anything to any strangers or any other man. They went right to the disciples, which, by the way, is what they were told to do. Go tell the disciples. Right. And it's what you would do if you had an important message that someone, an urgent message that you needed to relay for someone. You might go directly to that person. We might say you didn't stop and tell any man. You didn't tell any man until you got to the person you were told to, to relay the message to. We have one more break to go, and then we've got several more of these contradictions, apparent contradictions to cover. So far, none of them have stuck. We want to hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after these messages. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. 
Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. And as Zach's mentioned there, a contact information we, for you. to. we got a guest who wants to be on the air, Jacob. I guess he does. And, uh, that's your little one. I think right. he needs a diaper change. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. All right, Jacob, we're, we're, you were coming, I interrupted. You said Zach Coleman says he likes he to hear. He wants to hear, and he gave her the, the uh, contact information. So, so there you go. Get involved here. Um, the next contradiction posed, I think, is maybe the hardest one to resolve. Uh, we'll acknowledge that. And I want to take them together, two, two points together. He says, when Mary returned from the tomb, did she know Jesus had been resurrected? And when did she first see Jesus? On the first point, he says, when Mary returned from the tomb, did she know Jesus had been resurrected? He's got Matthew, Mark, and Luke saying, yes, she knew, and John saying, no, she didn't know. Um, And then when did she first see Jesus? Matthew says, before she returned to the disciples. Mark says, before she returned to talk to the disciples. But John says, after she returned to talk to the disciples. Here's, I think, the critical bit of information to to help resolve that, because I, I do see that as... As the, as the potential most difficult thing to resolve. But John's account, when taken in whole, I think answers the question. John 20, verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, while it was yet dark, into the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. She runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, and saith to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So it's she didn't know yet. She'd been there. The stone was rolled away. She immediately rushed back and told Peter and John, they've taken the Lord out of the sepulcher. We don't know where they've taken him. She didn't know he was resurrected yet. Peter and John, keep reading there. We won't take time to read it all. Peter and John rush out there. They see the empty tomb. They go back. Mary lingers around the tomb, and she she sees Jesus. Jesus speaks to her. And then in verse 18, Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. So, again, not a contradiction, but you've got to add a little bit in the chronology there that the other gospel writers don't mention. That is that Mary, when she saw the open tomb, rushed back and told Peter and John, just two of the disciples. Peter, then she, they rushed out there and saw the empty tomb and left. She came back and, and remained and that's when Jesus appeared to her and apparently to the other women as well. So John just adds a little increment of chronology there that the others don't have, but it's not a contradiction. Okay. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room tonight, Master of None says, Do you think Mary Magdalene observed the angels in the sepulcher due to her comment in John chapter 20, verse 12? And um May need a little bit uh, clarification on that, uh, Master of None, uh, because uh, it says uh, in verse 12, And seeth two angels in white setting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. So I don't, I don't see a quote there from Mary so or a comment from her. So, uh, Well, uh, maybe, maybe that's uh, earlier when she rushed back to tell Peter and John, she said they've taken the Lord and we don't know where they've taken him. That's okay. when she didn't know that Jesus was resurrected yet. Okay. John's just given us a little piece of incremental information that the others don't mention. She she oh. came and saw the empty tomb. She rushed back to tell Peter and John, and she didn't know yet. She, and she had not yet spoken to the angels that Jesus was resurrected. Peter and John rush out there, and she follows. Peter and John stay just temporarily and leave. But she lingers, and, the, and then she speaks to the angels, and then she sees Jesus. And then she goes back and tells all the disciples. I think that all fits. No no contradiction. Okay. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, 
Uh, he says, so Mary didn't see the angels, but the other women did. The other women stated that they saw the angels. Okay. Uh, so, again, we'd have to look at some more of the, of the account there to find out exactly how all that plays out. No, she, in answer to that, she did see the angels. Uh, it says so in verse 11 and 12. She definitely saw the angels, John 20, verses 11 and 12. But she saw them after she came back to the tomb, having rushed to inform Peter and John. Some other thing that we need to include in the mix here as well is when she makes the statement, they've taken the Lord, we know not where they've laid him. Their faith was still developing throughout all of this. Even yeah. after they saw the Lord, they, sometimes they didn't understand what all was going on. And so perhaps she had seen the angels. She had been told that Jesus had risen. And then she goes to tell him, and, it, and, and she's still not able to get her mind around all that's happened. Well, but no, no, that can't be right. That, that chronology doesn't fit what John says. John says that she saw the angels after she had gone and told Peter and John. Okay. And when she came back then is when she saw the angels and spoke to them and when she saw Jesus and spoke to him. But she had initially rushed to town okay. to tell and okay. told not all the disciples, but just Peter and John, right. that the tomb was open and empty. Okay, right. right. Okay. okay, you're correct. All right. all right, now real quick, a real quick con- potential contradiction. He says, could Jesus be touched after the resurrection? Matthew says yes. John says no. But then John says yes again. I think some people have some confusion about this. When, let's look at John's account. John 20, verse 17 when Jesus appeared to Mary, he said, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. But later in the same chapter, he told Thomas, reach hither thy finger, verse 27, and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. What has he got? John contradicting himself? At one yeah. point, Jesus can't be touched. Another, he can't. I think the answer is Jesus was saying to Mary, don't cling on to me. Don't hold on to me. I'm not ascended yet. I'm still going to be around for a while. Go tell the disciples. I think that's the way to understand verse 17. He wasn't saying I can't be touched. He was saying, don't, just, the time. Not, don't just be hanging on to me. I got work for you to do. Go right. tell the disciples. Right. Okay. All right. After the women to whom Jesus or after the women to whom did Jesus first appear? Uh, again, we have what appears to be another one of his forced contradictions. He says in Matthew, he appeared to 11 disciples. Mark, two disciples in the country, later to 11. Luke, two disciples in Emmaus, later to 11. John, 10 disciples. Judas and Thomas were absent. Paul, first to Cephas, then to the 12. Uh, he says the 12, Jesus, Judas was dead. All right, uh, we can talk about that. But again, another misunderstanding on his part. What about that? All we've got here is just different writers giving different parts of the story. They're not contradictory. It it, it was never it. Matthew, when Matthew says he appeared to the eleven disciples, he it, again it's that same old story. I don't have to tell you everybody I saw today in order to be telling. You know, I tell you I saw so and so. I tell somebody else that I saw some different people. Those are not contradictory. They're supplemental accounts. Uh, uh, they're not contradictory. They're different parts of the story. Blend them all together. Again, acknowledging that it is difficult to know which one fits in first. If I told you I saw John and I saw Steve, you couldn't necessarily from that tell who I saw first. You only know that I saw them both. But it doesn't make a contradiction. It doesn't make a contradiction. That's what we have there. All right. Uh, we have a minute or two to take your call if you'd like to join in on the phone or send an email. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, same, same same thing for his next point. When did Jesus appear to the disciples? Matthew has it in Galilee. Mark has it showing, he, appearing first to two men in the country. Uh, Luke to in, in Emmaus uh, at the evening. John in a room. Again, different accounts giving different details of the information, not contradictory. He, he appeared at all of those places to all of those people and again we we couldn't say for sure in what order they necessarily happened but they don't contradict each other that they did happen yes okay that they did happen okay all right um did the disciples believe the two men in mark chapter 16 verse 13 says no in luke chapter 24 34 uh yes and it says is the group speaking here not the two now wait a minute this is another one of those that that i think may have some uh, sort of deception involved in them. In Mark 16, verse 12, after that, he appeared to another in, in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. 
and they went and told it to the residue, neither believed they them. So to two men who saw him when they were walking in the country, they came back and their their story was not believed. Right. Now, in Luke 24, with the assumption, I think it's probably a fair assumption, it's the same two men under consideration. Luke goes into much more detail. They were on uh, uh, the road to Emmaus, and they, they spoke with Jesus for some long time, and finally they recognized who they were speaking to. But look, verse 34 says, uh, verse 33, they rose up the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that's, that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. It doesn't, it doesn't even about say. Their it yeah. doesn't even say yes or no as to whether their account was right. received. Yeah. Uh, Mark says that the initial reaction was not to believe them. Luke doesn't even mention whether they they were initially believed or not. He goes right on to the fact that apparently just as soon as they had told their story, Jesus appeared in the midst of them. Again, just uh, that's just a, an incredibly. Uh, Crazy uh, argument there that that's a contradiction. All right, what happened at the appearance? Matthew says disciples worshipped, some doubted, and uh, Jesus said, go preach. Mark, Jesus reprimanded them and said, go preach. Uh, Luke, uh, Christ incognito, vanishing act, materialized out of thin air, reprimand, supper. John passed through the solid door, disciples happy, Jesus blessed them, no reprimand. Those are not all the same episodes. Okay. Uh, I mean, the reason, Simple the, enough. the reason why they don't all say the same thing is they're not even talking about all of the same appearances. Okay. Uh, so we're, uh, we're getting pretty crazy here. on. Yeah, that, that, that's getting a little wild. All right. Uh, did Jesus stay on earth for a while? Mark says no in 1619 compared to 1614 with John's 20 verse 19 to show this was all done on Sunday. Luke says no. It all happened on Sunday. John, yes, at least eight days. Acts, yes, at least 40 days. That that's not true. That that Mark Mark, Luke and John place no time limit on how long Jesus was there. Those accounts in Mark, Luke and John do not specify that he was there for any specific length of time. John's John's account would have to have him there at least eight days, but doesn't say it was limited to eight days. Right. The 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 full answer to the question is given by Luke in Acts chapter one verse three where it says he was with his disciple and showed himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days. That's the definitive uh, statement on how long Jesus was on earth after his resurrection before the ascension. All right, and finally, the last one. Again, we haven't found a, a contradiction, a apparent contradiction that, that sticks here. Where did the ascension take place? Matthew doesn't mention an ascension. The book ends on a mountain in Galilee. And Mark says in or near Jerusalem after supper... Mark sixteen nineteen. Luke in Bethany, very close to Jerusalem after supper. Luke twenty four fifty through fifty one. John no ascension. Paul doesn't mention ascension. Acts mentions that he ascended from Mount of Olives in. There's clearly no contradiction Acts 1, in there. The ones that mention the ascension, and they don't have to mention the ascension. It's not a contradiction no. if they don't mention Correct. the ascension. But Mark says it was near Jerusalem. Luke says Bethany, which is near to Jerusalem, and. Luke in the book of Acts says it was the Mount of Olives, which is right at the eastern side of Jerusalem. Those are all those are very harmonious statements. Now, oh. Not even a, not even an apparent. He's contradiction. trying to force a contradiction between the same author there, Luke and Acts, and Luke in the in the Gospel exactly. of Luke. So you know, just crazy again. All right. Well, we've looked at his contradictions. He says you can't harmonize his Gospels that he's tried and he's failed. Well, he didn't try hard enough. Well, I don't think he tried at all. I think what he tried to do was to try to come up with a contradiction. That's His effort was to, to try and establish a contradiction. He didn't try hard at all to resolve the contradictions because they all are easily resolvable. All right. Well, we appreciate uh, the discussion tonight and appreciate our listeners joining in. Dad, thank you for uh, a good discussion. Do we have a comment there we need to? No, uh, the, the, the Coleman clan has been... Uh, in the chat room and watching tonight. Oh, that's who, uh, master, oh, that's of who master is of none is. Okay. Right. Well, now we can get it right. Now we know who we're talking All to. Right. All right. Thanks, Jack. And thanks to the Coleman's for listening tonight. All right. Well, Dad, thank you for your discussion tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Appreciate uh, it. Enjoyed it. Yeah. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.